Hi, I'm Paul Blackburn from Blackburn Property Group, and I'm someone with a goal. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Someone With A Goal. It's your host Quinton here and today we have an exclusive interview with Paul Blackburn, successful owner, founder and managing director of Blackburn Property Group, one of Perth's biggest apartment developers specializing in high-end luxurious apartments. Now in our sit down, Paul shares his upbringing, growing up as an average academic and attributing a lot of the success he has today to what he did after completing school, traveling the world. Now Paul reflects that it was during those years of travel at a time with no mobile phones, no internet he learned how to budget and how to become resourceful working different jobs adapting to different cultures it matured him quickly and on his return home had become a much more grateful and stronger person today with a property empire worth over 500 million dollars numerous business awards and accolades it is his five years of overseas experience that reminds him to never let money wealth and success get to him so i hope you guys enjoy this interview and i hope it inspires you and with no further ado sit back relax and enjoy this powerful interview with businessman father and philanthropist perth's own paul blackburn enjoy paul thanks for being on the show thank you really i just want you to paint the picture for us on before Blackburn Property Group, and before the success and before um, the accolades that I see you have, could you take us back to what was Paul like back in the day? Um, really, just your upbringing, and really just just uh, share your story on your experiences growing up. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I grew up in uh, Gooseberry Hill. Went to Gooseberry Hill Primary School. So uh, grew up in the hills. Um, my parents um, were both from country. WA, um, father from, from Albany and um, mother from Nungarran, so very much a country um, uh, background for grandparents. Um, but yeah, brought up in the hills in quite a normal, I guess, Perth, um, Australian um, 1980s and 1990s uh, environment. So um, sort of a large block with lots of bush around us. Um, and uh, yeah, grew up through the through the eighties in primary school, and then on to high school in the late late eighties and early early nineties. Um, and uh, went to Guildford as um, my uh, school for the later years of primary school and, and high school. Um, and then on to uh, to Murdoch University to study marketing and management. Um, but yeah, growing up, my main thing was um, wasn't necessarily uh, super academic. I was sort of you know, I, I tried fairly hard and work. I, I, you know, probably middle of the road um, in sort of academic results, but um, uh, always probably communication skills were my main um, thing rather than just maths and science. Um, but I was okay at those things, but was never a, um, you know, the top of the class in maths and science sort of kid. Do you play sport? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was my main thing at school um, was, was swimming. I swam sort of four hours a day. So a lot of the discipline I have now, I think, um, came from that. Um, I think having, as a teenager in your 20s, a sporting background um, is a really strong basis for entrepreneurs and business to have a sporting background. And you do find, um, you know, a lot of sports people do go on to um, have businesses and be entrepreneurs. Uh, the uh, so because and swimming's a really tough one. Like that competitive swimming, you're 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. every day. Well, so so you, you're competitive swimming. So you're in yeah, there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, a really good team at their Maida Vale Swimming Club and we, uh, you know, would have four hours a day together. So I think it was every morning from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. So you're up at 
I think I had five years, my alarm going off at 4.37 from memory. It's ingrained, ingrained in my memory. And, uh, you know, even in winter when it's zero degrees and you're in the, in the pool at five, um, uh, you know, Monday through to Saturday with, I think, Wednesday mornings off and then every afternoon, uh, Monday to Friday. So, so that know, training, that discipline. That's all you do. And that's 11 months of the year. It was one month a year off, um, start of winter, then you're back training for the national championships the next year. So it's 11, um, 11 months of, uh, of training. So swimming is a really intense um, background and uh, very, a very tough sport. Um, although it's an individual sport, um, it, is, um, it is also very much a team sport. A lot of people sort of say compared to footy, you missed out on that football or cricket team thing. And, but you do form very strong um, uh, team bonds in in swimming in your swimming team. So, so what was your key stroke? What was your main stroke? Um, I was a butterfly mostly. Um, so a uh, hundred and two hundred butterfly. So pretty tough events. But um, you know that that was my you know my my main strength um, butterfly and freestyle. The business that you have here. If you can cool. fill in the interim, yeah, yeah. what happened in between that gap? That that's really um, interesting. So uh, after school, um, I went to study um, business and um, commerce, marketing and management. I I think um, I never thought I'd get into property. Um, my father was actually had a real estate business called Blackburn Real Estate in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and uh, then he did some property development, um, our property management, project marketing into the uh, 90s. Um, so I always thought um, there was no, I'd, I'd never do property. That was never something um, I, I thought I didn't end up. Wanted in, to pursue um, property, you had no yeah, aspirations. I, I, I never, I didn't think I'd end up uh, staying in Perth. I, 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 I went to go overseas uh, for about five years after university, I had five years overseas and I, I think when I finished studying, I I, th I thought it was unlikely I would end up living in Perth. Um, I had a strong interest in what was happening in Asia. China was starting to rise at the time when I was at university. Actually, Indonesia was meant to be the the next China. You know, like that that that's how much has changed the last twenty years. That um, you know, nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety six, uh, I was uh, you know studying and traveling a lot or every university holiday I'd spend um, traveling into Asia usually um, and uh, really really was exploring Asia in the mid 90s uh, and you know just couldn't wait to finish university and go traveling. Um, I uh, saved up enough money for a one-way ticket to China and um, in 1996 I think it was around mid 90s um, got a one-way ticket to China and my goal was just to get to the center of China wherever that was and I just went uh, uh, you know right up through the middle and so China was a lot different place 20, 23 years ago now um, than it is now uh, so um, it was obviously mostly rural communities and villages um, particularly um, as you got towards the center of China um, and then worked my way back overland through Vietnam and um, Cambodia, Laos and Thailand. Uh, and then as you do when you're sort of 22, 23 backpacking, ended up back in Perth broke and then um, I thought I had to save enough money to get to go to Europe. So uh, I worked as a uh, graduate trainee in marketing and sales with um, Peters and Browns, the Peters, Peters ice cream, Browns dairy um, was had quite a, um, a big business uh, in Balcata uh, and uh, worked for them and the sales and marketing uh, department. Uh, but then after a year or two of that, um, 
thought, no, I really, my goal was to live outside of Perth and, um, and then went to London and um, worked through um, really a year in Europe and London, um, a year in North America and about six months in the Middle East um, and, and a bit more time in Asia. You know, I think over that period was really about post-university. I just thought before I get a mortgage and work and borrow money for a business or something, I just want to see the world and then decide what I want to do. And that just ended up going for five years. So. Um, but it was a good way to learn how to budget, um, you know, li living off um, probably $100 a day or something for, for, from, for five years, right up until I was probably 26, 28 years old. Because yeah. I read you did some diving in Egypt um, yeah. as, as a job. Um, you, you did, uh, as, as I think you were at this Canadian ski resort as well, where you did some work there as a way to get income. Yeah. So you, you also, obviously in, in situations where you had no money, you also working ways to, to you know get an income so you can yeah, usually i just work in um an area where i thought it was something i'd enjoy but also trying to save enough to travel to the next place so um you know london i worked in recruitment for a year with tmp worldwide um and uh, we were recruiting australians to work in in london uh save some money then i think i had enough of the big city um stresses and thought oh, I'd be interested to be a, um, a dive master or a dive instructor and I went down to um, Egypt, tra travelled through Egypt for a while and then ended up in um, the Red Sea in Dahab in the late 90s. Um, and uh, yeah, we did uh, three or four months sort of, you know, um, doing my more professional courses in, in diving. Um, and uh, you know, then after I thought, okay, I've done that, I'm not sure that's for me. Uh, and then spent about, I think, three or four months after that um, going overland from Cairo to Istanbul through um, so Syria, Lebanon, Israel, um, uh, Egypt, and then up through Turkey. So that was probably, a, I can't remember the time, but probably three, three to six months of um, sort of uh, hitchhiking, buses, trains, and or however you could to get, get up to um, Turkey. From, from your personal experiences as, as traveling, how important is traveling or going overseas uh, to finding yourself? Yeah, for me, it was um, really important. I think um, I would encourage uh, anybody, I think post-university and post-school, there's no need to rush into starting a business and trying to make money and getting a job. And um, it was certainly you know like that in the 90s. And I think there's probably more pressure on young people now to finish university and get into a big company and, play it safe. Parents will tend to say they want you around when you're 18, 25, you know, play it safe, get into a company, work your way up um, or start a business and borrow some money, get a mortgage, settle down, have kids. Um, that There's plenty of time to do that. And one of the things I heard in my early 20s that really resonated with me was someone older said, you know, there's plenty of time to do that stuff, but you've got a really unique window when you're in your 20s to travel the world without any mortgage, any responsibility, any kids, you can do what you want. So I thought that's a great idea. So I'll, I'll do that for five or 10 years um, before even thinking about um, family, mortgages, buying a home, borrowing to start a business um, and just use that. That's the biggest thing I'd encourage anyone um, younger to do, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, even 40s, if, if you haven't done it, um, to have you know two to five years just traveling. And people think, well, where, how do you get the money? Where are you gonna stay? Well, it's not that, it doesn't cost that much to travel. Um, 
you know, following books like Lonely Planet back then, it was all the Lonely Planet guidebook. Now there's a lot of more online for the place, but Lonely Planet's still the leader in affordable travel. Um, but uh, yeah, you can travel really cost effectively and um, and do a lot. And there's always lots of lots of things to do and see. I suppose there's so many experiences and cultures that you also get to see another perspective on developing countries as well. Yeah, where yeah. I, I think we're privileged here as opposed to not yeah. being able to see the other side of the world. It is, and you know, you have a. You, I got to see. I think I went through 52 countries or something. So you got to see lots of different, from rich, poor, from London, from wealthy cities, London, New York, and um, uh, you know, European cities. Um, right through to say Cambodia and China, you know, those times were um, a lot poorer place. So yeah, having having a perspective on seeing the whole world from um, rich to poor, but also different cultures and, um, you know, uh, and, and not necessarily just relying on what you've seen in the news or the media to make your decisions about what's going on in the world. Actually go and decide for yourself and go and see it. Nice. So you've come back to Perth after your um, your overseas travels, uh, what happens after that? Yeah, I, I came back um, in 2001, so 18 years ago now, and I thought um, I would just come back. I, I'd, uh, I'd been in the Middle East and London, and I thought I'll just go home for a while. I'd been away for quite a while um, and see what happens. I was 20, probably 26. Um, and I thought, I'll just see what happens. And I ended up um, saying to my father at the time in Blackburn Real Estate, look, I'll, you know, um, he, he had needed some help in the sales and marketing side of his business and got in there and um, did that for three to six months and enjoyed it um, and made some money and thought, okay, this was pretty good. Um, and had a couple of years um, working uh, for him and his partners. Um, but then after a few years, I, I, I really settled into Perth and thought, oh, I've either got to, I'm either going to move to Sydney or back to London or stay here. And then I thought, no, if I, if I stay here, I want to have my own business. If I'm going to be in Perth, it's got to be um, my, my business. I just couldn't envision myself working um, for somebody else. Um, and I wanted to make sure I did it, did it um, purely on my own and my own resources. Um, so um, I took a loan out. Um, I think it was about 600,000 at the time, um, and bought part of the rent role, um, the property management role from uh, the business I was working for, the, the partnership of four partners that I was working for. They had um, uh, property management rent role, residential property management, and because it has long-term recurring income and it's a fairly safe asset, um, I you can borrow against it. So I borrowed to buy against that asset um, on a 10-year loan, and paid that off five years ago. So it was just a monthly payment for 10 years and that um, sort of just came out. So that was really the start of what Blackburn Property Group is um, now. Um, property management's probably 5% of our business now, but it was um, a part of the start. But really that was there just to form a basis for the business and get the business up and running so I could go and do the property development side of things. I know you, you specialise in high-end, high-quality luxury apartments. Um, and so what, what was your first site and, and how, did that, how did you get that ball rolling? So my first five years from 2003 when I started um, the business, the first five years I um, was uh, really development consultant and project marketing to other developers. So. Um, one of the reasons I learned how to do property development was watching what not to do from others. Um, so some were very good and some weren't so good. So um, 
that was a really good traineeship for me from 2003 to 2008 and learning from others and seeing what they did and um, really we were doing the marketing, design, sales, um, settlements um, for a whole range of different developers. But I was quite lucky in that time as well. Although I'd started the business in 2003, the economy was quite flat, but it really started to pick up you know, four, five, six, seven as that first wave of the WA mining boom came. So yes, I worked hard. Yes, we had a great business, but we were also very lucky in that um, the economy went through a once in a generation boom. Um, and so I worked for all these developers in 07 with the global financial crisis hit. Um, I, I think it was, I saw the news. I still remember it. I was living in a, a small apartment in Subiaco and um, I saw the news and I, think, I remember Lehman Brothers collapsed and the stock market had gone down. I thought, oh, I had just um, really ramped up our business up to over 100 staff and I had offices in the East Coast and I thought, oh, this is, this is bad. Um, and luckily Perth went through a second phase of the mining boom, but I still had to um, really cut costs, restructure the business. I had a whole lot of different businesses within Blackburn Group and some were profitable, some not so profitable. So I, I shut down um, some business units we had um, and really cut our costs and got back to basics, which was um, just focusing on doing our own developments and um, just Perth developments. and. Um, and, and really it was the right thing to do. I stopped the focus on trying to grow in the East Coast. Um, and luckily that was the right thing because Perth really then took off again. So all our time and energy was in WA. Um, so there was five years of that from 03 to 08 of some of my own smaller developments on the side, but mostly working for other developments, developers. Um, and then the last 10 years is really when I've been doing my own projects, 10 to 12 years um, where I, be using the money the company had made, um, buy, being opportunistic and just buying sites when the market was down, um, you know, 7, 08, 09, um, when the market was a bit quieter, um, was able to buy some really good development sites and then the market took off took again. Took off again so and you just rode that wave there, as well. The right yeah. time in the right place and, um, and then we gave up working for other developers. We said we're not going to do this consulting to other developers now because yeah, you, you know you're good. competition and um, and, you know, we also felt it, we couldn't give the right service to them. It was a service-based business um, and becoming a developer, then a manufacturer, you're manufacturing your own product. So um, rather than offering a service, we thought, no, we'll go into being our own developer. And that was uh, the, right, the right decision um, to, you know, I think in any business to focus on the areas that are um, profitable, right, you know, and uh, easier. Yeah. and lower risk yeah. than a lot of um, entrepreneurs and young yeah. people start businesses and just the first thing you do in a business you just grab any business you can get everybody does that they just chase every dollar they can get and it takes five years to work out that that's not good you've really got to pick your clients and pick your business unit and um, not take on every everything you can get yeah. just uh, for our viewers out there who are starting their business at the ground level Let's say if I was to drop you into a country where you've never been before and you are to rebuild what you've built here, what key skills that you think that uh, you could take over there to pretty much just replicate what you've built here for you? Yeah, um, I think the key skills in, um, in building a business would be, firstly, there's no substitute for hard work. I mean, it's a very common thing, but I heard that before I started a business and 
you hear it, but you don't really believe it till you yeah. till you're in it's there. There, is, in no, the game. there yeah. is no way. Sometimes you think, oh, this is actually easier than I thought. Um, but then something will happen, like the GFC or some major problem will go wrong in the economy or with your staff, and you go, no, this is when it's hard. So there's no substitute for for hard work. Um, Secondly, um, I just think being, uh, being open, honest and fair with people, I think with not just with your stakeholders, with clients and external people, with staff, and I think that then comes through in the culture of your business, which means clients stay longer, staff stay longer, it's a more satisfying work environment for you and for everybody, um, and just makes it easier to come to work every day. Um, knowing you, you, you're doing your best to do the right thing. It um, doesn't always page. work out perfectly, but you've got to at least try to try and always do the right thing by your staff and by your um, clients and, and by yourself and your family. So I think um, working hard, trying to do the right thing. Um, and uh, yeah, if I had to pick a third thing that to, to, to really focus on would be um, f- focus on Growth, but not too fast. Don't grow too fast. Is growing, growing steady and slow. Just consistent, small consistent steps. Consistent with compound growth is far better than so many young businesses go wrong when they don't have the systems and the procedures in the background. They grow and they don't have the background to to have have it. And that's very hard to explain till you've been through it. But um, you know, it can be just simple things like your your accounts aren't being properly recorded or you've got a client and the contract's not being signed properly. Um, so these are minor things, but obviously pay a bigger. Very important. And, and they only come with time. It takes time. Um, and the fourth thing, probably if you, if you compliment, finding people that are better than you in their specific area, like a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs feel intimidated by people who are smarter than them or better than them. But I think the best um, business leaders or best leaders in politics or business surround themselves with people that are either better or smarter than them in a certain area. Um, so not being intimidated by people that have, um, whether they're more intelligent or higher IQ or whatever, um, I've always just tried to find people that are better than me in a certain area and surround myself with, with, with that, that. environment. Yeah. And I think if you stuck to those four things, um, that's a pretty good basis for, you know, building and growing a business. Yeah. The team here you have at Blackburn and the, obviously the team that you're surrounded with how important is it for you as a leader to make sure that they have the vision, that they follow your vision um, in terms of your growth and, and where you want to be in the next, say, five, ten years' time? Having a vision and being able to um, communicate that to a team and have people come along to you is probably the hardest thing in starting a business and an entrepreneur. And that's something that um, some people are just genetically better at it than others, but everybody can, can learn, I think, through persistence and hard work. And, um, I think it's to be a visionary in the first place, to have the vision, um, you've got to surround yourself with good people to take care of, say, the detail. If you are a visionary or an entrepreneur, there's, there's having people that um, are better at you, that systems, procedures or detail. So your mind's not getting bogged in the procedural administrative side and you can stay in the bigger picture is, is, is really key. Um, and then being able to articulate a vision in, in I, I'd call it sound bites, um, in really short, clear ways. So say five things. I might say um, in my head there's, I'm going to use five words to describe five things about the vision. But if you start rambling on, it gets too complicated, you lose it. So it's talking generally for maybe five minutes, but going, this is what it means. It's these five things we're focusing on in our vision. 
this is where we want to get. Um, and, uh, and, and, and obviously, um, believing in your vision comes through. If, you, if you're enthusiastic and energetic about your vision, then in, that energy is infectious and other people will get that um, energy. So being able to um, ha a, have a vision and establish what it is, and it's got it you know, well-researched, well-thought out, um, and then being able to effectively communicate that in um, clear and concise ways, but sh doing it honestly so that people can see the energy that you've, that you've got. Just going to change pace here. Thanks for that, Paul. Um, really just want to go back on, um, I know that there's an area that we're struggling with as a, as a dad, you know, you're a father and a, I'm a father. So how do you, as an entrepreneur, balance business with family? Yeah, um, I think um, a lot of, um, Entrepreneurs or business people do struggle to have a balance, a work-life balance, and everybody struggles with that, and I think in nowadays, um, but particularly entrepreneurs and um, business owners. Uh, I'm pretty disciplined. I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old to try and um, be home for dinner with them and you know, bath for young kids and put them to bed, and that, I think, is a good routine um, for parents that are working full-time, at least you get that time with your young kids each day. Um, and then pretty much every weekend from Friday afternoon to Monday morning is with kids. So um, just trying to spend as much quality time with them as you can. Yeah, and where possible in the mornings and just get your time with them. And But a lot of people in entrepreneurs, I think there's a lot of 50, 60, 70 year old people out there that if you said to them, what do you wish you'd done differently? They say, oh, I wish I'd spend more time with my kids. And I, um, when I had kids, I was quite, I was older, I was 40, um, so 39, um, and I'd heard, seen enough stories to go, no, I'm not gonna do that. And also I didn't have kids till the business I felt was in a position where I could, I could um, not have to work as hard. Like the first 10 years I, I was, probably working 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, not necessarily at my desk in the office 80 hours a week, but I would have, it's pretty, there's no hours. It's, it's yeah. when you're not sleeping, you're working. Um, so uh, I don't think that works, would, would have been what I wanted with kids. People can do it, if you don't have any choice, well, that's your choice, you do it. Might be for a period of time, but um, I didn't want to have young kids and um, uh, be working all the time. Paul, how, how effective for you has been Booksmart? but also street smart? Um, in my case, I would say the um, academic qualifications would be less than 50% of the relevance for what you do. I'd say somewhere between 30 and 50%. Um, a majority of it is your world experience, your ability to communicate, your work ethic, uh, honesty, integrity, all those sort of things I think are far more important than an academic qualification. Saying that, having if, if I'm gonna be in business and it's a marketing and management style thing, to have a degree in marketing and management um, certainly doesn't hurt. It's, it's good, but it's certainly not essential. I mean, there's plenty of examples of some of the world's most successful business people that finished school in year 10 and didn't you know, lead 11, 12 in uni. So, you know, but it's good. If it's there, I'd say do it. It's not everything, yeah. but while you're young, if you're between 18 and 21, I'd say do it. If, if you can, it's good to pick a degree and do, a post, do something post high school if you want to, if it's in an area where you think you'll have interest. So if it's in entrepreneurship, then commerce is, I didn't know what I wanted to be or study. So commerce is a good one where I just go, okay, I'll just, it's very general. It can take you in so many areas to study commerce and 
you can major in marketing or management, different things. So I just picked mar marketing and management. Cool. So obviously, you got one Entrepreneur of the Year, um, 2014. Uh, you're also 40 under 40. But what's most significant to me is your work and your uh, philanthropy work in Cambodia. Um, what inspired you to do that? More university, I was involved in an international organisation called ISEC, and it was um, really, you know, we got to travel a bit, and um, and I thought I. I you know, if I make money one day, I want to be able to do something with that. It's, you know, once you've got your house paid off and your business and a car and all that, there's not much else you need money for. Um, so really that was the motivation for me from the main, one of the main drivers in the start is, you know, you can only have so much money. And the reason I, it sort of kept me going was at some point I want to be able to do something with that, that money. Um, and there's a lot more I'm going to do, but one of the, the small ways I started um, was um, around five years ago working with the Cambodian Children's Fund um, and I, you know, we jointly co-founded and I funded the start of a child protection unit up there and I think the reason I picked that was I'd done um, quite a bit of travel in Cambodia and been up there a bit when I was younger and I thought it had a pretty uh, tragic story and I think uh, I thought if there's any place that needs some help, then this is where I want to do if I ever have any money. Um, other countries, Australia and Western countries had, had enough money, governments to sort out some of their issues, but that, that was one country, particularly 20 years ago, that did need help. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly I think some of the things that um, our partners in Cambodia are doing are, are fantastic. Um, um, but that really, for me, was more of just a, 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 a small start and a test case of how you can do something, um, uh, use money to partner with good people and trying to find the right formula. Um, and that uh, is now operating successfully in Cambodia and um, a great ma management team up there and um, they're, they're, they're driving that um, organisation forward. So. Um, you know, but that's great to know there's good, something being able to help, help found and then now it, it's off and running and, uh, and self-sufficient. So um, really, um, you know, now the focus for me is looking at what's the next 10 years, what are those things? And um, I'm working on some things at the moment that um, I, I'll, I'll be able to talk about next year and the year after. Awesome, awesome. Paul, I'm just gonna go into a quick game and this game is I'm gonna fire you a, a few words and just the first thing of what that these words mean to you. Uh, can it be a word or a phrase? The only thing is you can't repeat the same word. Okay, so the first word is success. Hard work, um, dedication. Struggle. Get up again. Entrepreneurship. Dedication. Business. Honesty. Family. Everything. And just one more word, uh, you ready? Fulfillment. Balance. Awesome, Paul, thanks for being on the show. Great, thank you. Hey guys, Quinton here. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Paul. I certainly did. I want to share with you my number one biggest takeaway that I've taken from that interview and have applied into my business. And that is what Paul referred to as sound bites. Now what sound bites are is really just small, concise, specific bullet points of information that you as a leader need to communicate to your team when it comes to goals for today, for this week, for this month, or even this year. Now I know as entrepreneurs, we have these massive visions um, and as we need to learn how to communicate that vision and what a lot of our vision lacks is clarity. And as sound bites, sound bites really just break down that vision, unpack it so that our team have really just something to focus on that they can get accomplished 
that day. So guys, if you enjoyed that interview and if you wanna know more about how to become a millionaire, then mindset, really just how to break past limiting beliefs of self-doubt and uh, how they overcome that, then you need to watch this video over here.